Hi guys. How are you this morning? Some crazy weather we've been having, right? Right? Hope none of you have fell. <laughs> All right, so let's just um, start this thing off right and let's bow for an order of prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day and just all the blessings you've given us, God. I pray that you would just um, be with this time that we're about to have to just break open your word and just um, uh, just learn more about you, God. I pray that um, you would give me the words to say, God, and I pray that all the glory would go to you right now, God. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so I know that I tend to get a little nervous, and to say that I'm nervous right now would be an understatement. <laughs> so... In thinking that I would get nervous, I have prepared like three sermons, and hopefully I can get the time to fill up one. Okay, so we're going to be in three passages of Scripture, the first one being 1 Kings 18. I would encourage you to get a, get your Bible and turn there. If not, they're going to be on the screen. And we're just going to look at um, a few of God's miracles. And um, the theme of today has kind of been God's not dead. And... Um, you might ask, well, why, why would anyone think that? Like, but I, I would say that the question, is God dead, is asked a lot more than you might think. Um, we don't, and I think the, most, the biggest reason that people see that, like, wonder if God is dead is because we don't see any miracles today. Like, we don't see, we don't see the splitting of the Red Sea today. We don't see things like that today. So we're going to look at some cases in the Bible where like God did show up and he did perform miracles. And then we're going to see kind of the difference in between then and today. And you might find that there are miracles. So going on today. So pay attention. Okay. So in first Kings, let me get there. All right. So our first story is going to be Elijah challenging the prophets of Baal. And so we're just going to go by kind of like verse by verse. And we're just going to talk about them a little bit, or I guess I'm going to talk about him a little bit, but all right. So we'll start with verse 20. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. So let's just pause right there. And that kind of shows us Elijah was serving God even when it was really unpopular. There were 450 followers of Baal and one prophet of God. So I don't know about you guys, but like we, I go to Harrisburg High School and so do a lot of these other people. And it's easy to feel like you're the one outnumbered by 450 when you're serving God there. And um, this, this is just like an encouragement, like, go ahead, it, even though it's unpopular and you're not going to be popular now, God has something better in store. So, um, and let's just take a second and think about all the confidence that Elijah had. He's getting ready to um, come up with this challenge, I guess you could say, and he's outnumbered 450 to 1. I mean, <laughs> this is kind of a big deal for him. If he loses, like, it's he's done. So... Let's, work, let's look at verse, the next part, okay. Um, then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, since you are, wait, just kidding, I missed some. 
Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of Yahweh, and the God whose answers with fire, he is God. All the people answers, that's, answered, that sounds good. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. Then call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. Okay, well, we're just going to go on still. So they took the bull that he gave them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. So these people, there's 450 of them, and they really believe that Baal is God, like, and he will not fail them. So they're dancing around this altar shouting, and let's just take a minute to see, like, how ridiculous that must have looked. <laughs> like, I was thinking about this, and they're just dancing around this bull that is laying on this altar, just, I don't know. It must have been crazy. So, verse 27 says, At noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, Shout loudly, for he's a, he's a god. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he has wandered away. Or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. They shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears, according to their custom, until blood gushed over them. All afternoon they kept raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound, no one answered, and no one paid attention. So if you thought the dancing was weird, then they start cutting themselves and bleeding everywhere. And aren't you glad we serve a God that doesn't sleep, that doesn't decide to travel or take the day off like they were putting their faith in the like at first i read that and i was like well that's not very nice elijah like you're mocking them like doesn't the bible say like not to do that but if there is one thing that we can boast about shouldn't it be that our god is better than anything like so okay and now it's elijah's turn and I think we're going to see something a little bit different in Elijah. I don't think there will be any, be any dancing and cutting going on. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. So that all the people approached him. Then he prepared the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the, son of Jacob, uh, tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of God had come saying, Israel will be your, be your name. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of Yahweh. Then he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about four gallons. So Elijah's kind of putting in some thought into this altar. He's kind of glorifying God with the whole thing, down to like the number of stones that he's using. And uh, he builds a trench. Well, that's weird. <laughs> I don't know what he's going to be doing with that. We should read on. Uh, next he arranged the wood, cut up the bull, and placed it on the wood. He said, fill four water, pot, water pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. Then he said a second time, and they did it a second time. Then he said a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. He even filled the trench with water. Well, I don't know about you guys, but we have like a, word, a wood-burning stove in our house, like a fireplace. And typically, you don't douse the wood with water before you want to set it on fire. That kind of doesn't work. But Elijah says he dumps 12 pots of water on this. So he's trying to make a point. He has so much faith in God that 
he knows that not only will God consume this, but he'll consume this even when it's not like, it's not really easy. Well, I mean, I guess it's easy for God, but anyway. Uh, let's read on. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah went, Elijah the prophet announced the, at the altar and said, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God and Israel, and I am your servant, that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Yahweh, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. So, this thing is full of water, the bull's sitting there, and Elijah doesn't do any crazy dance, he doesn't do anything drastic, he just simply prays. And he asked God to come down and reveal himself. And um, that took a lot of faith. Like, he asked God to come down and reveal himself as if he knew he already would. How many times do we ask God for, like, a miracle or a blessing, but we don't really believe that he can do it? I think that kind of um, makes a difference in what the outcome is. So Elijah is showing us here that he already believes that God can do it. He's just wanting him to show everyone else. And notice that Elijah wasn't like, God, I kind of told all these people that you would show up. <laughs> Please don't make me look like an idiot by not doing anything. And he doesn't ask for any of his glory. He says, um, come down so that these people will know that you, Yahweh, are God. So he's asking God to reveal himself to the other people because Elijah clearly already knows that he is the all-powerful. All right, so let's see what happens. Then Yahweh's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, Yahweh is God, Yahweh is God. All right, so... Um, well, God obviously answered Elijah's prayer. He sent down fire from heaven. Can we just think about like what that would be like today? That would be crazy to just watch fire fall from the sky and consume an offering that was soaked in water. We would definitely look at that and be like, God is God. Like, oh my gosh. Okay. So that's kind of going to be it for that story. So let's recap Elijah, he served God when it wasn't popular. He kept the attitude of God is going to do this. Like he knew that God would do it before it happened. And um, God did. He answered his prayer and he showed everyone, all of every one of the prophets of Baal, that he was God and his glory was revealed. So now let's move on to Daniel 3 and we're going to look at a fiery furnace. All right, so each of you guys have probably heard this story at one time in your life, but we're just going to look at it again um, just to see, like, maybe we can see some of the same character um, traits in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we saw in Elijah. So um, let's start by just recapping what's going on. So King Nebuchadnezzar made this gold statue that was 90 feet tall, and it was of himself. 
you got to be pretty full of yourself to build a 90-foot-tall statue made of gold in front of everybody. But, okay, that's beside the point. Um, and then he sends out this, like, herald to tell people that whoever doesn't bow down to this statue when this certain music plays, they'll be thrown into a fiery furnace. So not only does he think a lot of himself, he wants other people to think a lot of him, too. So to the point of where he's willing to kill all of them if they don't. So um, let's pick up in verse 7. Therefore, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Well, apparently it worked. (laughs) Because all these people are now bowing down and worshipping this statue of him. And they're scared. They're probably scared for their lives. But they're complying anyway. Um, And in verse 8... Uh, some people basically want to take this want to take this situation and turn it back on the Jews. Um, they said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, "May the king live forever." That's pretty normal when we want when we want something bad to happen to somebody else. We go to the person in charge and is like, "Hey, I know you're really great." Flattery it works every time. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship must be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are some of the Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. So basically... This guy is coming to get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in trouble. He's like, listen, you're great, and I worship you and all that stuff, but these people, they're not. So you really need to do something about that. And doesn't that say something about all the other Jews that were in the area if only three of them didn't, like, worship? So all the other ones just kind of like, okay, we're going to go along with this. We're just going to bow down and worship anyway. And there were so few, only three, that this man could call them out by name. So that kind of says something about the, um, the uh, other Jews. And this is kind of looking a little bit familiar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are still choosing to serve God, even when it is extremely unpopular. And they're even going to be put to death, they're told. So let's go on in verse 13. Then, in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? Now, if you're ready to hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? All right. So he calls them in. He's like, okay, I understand. You wanted to do this. You didn't want to bow down in front of everybody. But here in this private area, let's, we'll give you a second chance. So if you just want to bow down and worship me now, that would be great. So, and then he goes on to ask, who is the God that can rescue you from my power? He's kind of calling God out like, You don't serve a God that's any greater than I am. Well, he's about to find out. 
Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want... We want you as the king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. So they're telling him no, basically. <laughs> and um, they, they say that they're not, they say if the God we serve exists, like they're not sure. But I feel like they're pretty sure to go up and be willing to die. So um, that's their response. And think about how much... How hard it would be to say that to the king that has the fiery furnace right there and is like, I will throw you in. And you're just like, no, I'm not going to bow down to you right there. And um, even if even if our God isn't real, we still wouldn't bow down to you. So well, that's kind of interesting. All right, so let's look at verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary, and he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of of blazing fire. So, this is a little bit of an overreaction. The normal temperature obviously would have been enough to kill them. But he's so mad that he says he did seven times hotter. So he's a little out of his mind with rage right now. And um, so he, t- he orders the strongest men to tie them up and throw them in. Well, these men in their trousers, robes, head coverings, and other clothes were tied up and thrown into the furnace of bla- the blazing fire. Since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. So his rage is kind of affecting other people. (laughs) It killed three of them that were trying to um, carry out his orders. So let's see what happens next. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped in alarm. He said to his advisors, Didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, Look, I see four men, not tied, walking around in fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So he's kind of shocked, and he wants to make sure that he's not losing his mind. He's like, We did only throw in three men, right? Well, how come I see four? Well... His advisors are like, yeah, we only threw in three. But again, they're seeing four. And he says one looks like a son of the gods. Little does he know that that is a form of God. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace, blazing fire, and called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. So he's changed his attitude toward God pretty drastically in the past few verses. He goes from wanting to kill the servants of God to saying that God, the God they serve is the most high. And I have a feeling that the glory of God can probably do that to a person. Nebuchadnezzar, oh wait, we just read that. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives 
rather than to serve or worship any God except their own. So let's look back. He was furious to the point of heating the, fur- the furnace seven times hotter than it has ever been and risking the lives of three of his guards or whatever. And now he's praising God. He... So an experience with God, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but it can turn rage into praise really fast. And um, so, therefore, he issued a decree that anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house made a garbage dump, for there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. The king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the province of Babylon. So, again, we see God shows up and he does this miracle. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't even smell like smoke. If you're around a campfire for any period of time, you're going to smell like smoke, much less being thrown into a fiery furnace. And um, so, uh, lost my train of thought there. So anyway, they didn't even smell like smoke. So we see God doing these, this miracle, and what's the outcome? The outcome is King Nebuchadnezzar sees the glory of God and he recognizes him as the one true God. And um, so that's kind of the same as in the last uh, miracle we we read about. So we're seeing a recurring theme here. People serving God when it's not convenient, it's not popular. And we see God showing himself, showing his glory to everyone else. So we're going to take another look at one from the... New Testament in Mark 10. So if you would turn there. Okay. So we're going to start in Mark 10, verse 46. And this is the passage of Jesus healing the blind man. And we're just going to take a quick look at this and see if we can see any of the other themes that we've seen in the past two. They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus, the the Nazarene, he began to cry out, Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. Many people had told him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more, Have mercy on me, Son of David. So again, kind of, we're seeing even in the New Testament, these people that are still having faith in God, even when, it, even when people are trying to keep them quiet, and um, it's not very popular. So there's another recurring thing that we keep seeing. Um, Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called up the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up, he's calling for you. He threw off his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. So, so this is a blind man. He's probably sitting on the ground or something. And when he, says, when he hears that he gets the chance to go see Jesus, he jumps up, throws away his coat, which is likely probably his only possession. He throws it away and goes to see Jesus. So what, what can we learn from this blind man? We, so many times we hold on to things in our life like distractions and stuff, and we keep those from letting us come to Jesus. And this just shows us that we should just let go and know that God is greater than anything we have on this earth. So um, then Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? 
the blind man told him, I want to see. So the blind man didn't really hold back. He had a simple goal. He wanted Jesus to heal him, and he believed that he could. He knew that Jesus could heal him before he went up and talked to him. So Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he could see and began to follow on the road. So God reveals his glory again through yet another miracle. This guy is probably going to go and tell all of his friends what just happened. And God is ultimately going to be glorified through the whole situation. So um, that's some of some examples in the Bible of things that God has done. And um, I'm here to tell you that God is still doing awesome things. He doesn't quit. He, I know in today's world, it's easy. We look at the news. We look at anything, and we're just bombarded with all of this negative stuff. And it's hard to see the small things that God does in other people's lives or in our lives. And it's easy to lose hope. But... Um, If you look closely, you can see that God is moving in big ways. It's just sometimes we have distractions that keep us from seeing that. If we remove the distractions, it's easier to see how God is working. Um, As many of you know, we have strong ties to Nicaragua. We've sent a lot of teams down there. And in Nicaragua, there's very few distractions. And um, if you've been there, you know that, like, you don't have your phone, you don't have anything. And it's really easy to see God moving down there. And so I'm going to um, kind of give you a glimpse into what God is doing. We're, we have a video, and this is Tom, our missionary connection down there. And uh, he's just got some miracles from God, and we're going to show you that, and then I'll talk about it. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Nicaragua. So we're going to go on a little tour today, and this is actually our community. Um, welcome to Exalted Ministries, and uh, yeah, so why don't we come on a little look here. So this is our community, and they're getting garbage right now, <laughs> but uh, we live in a community that's pretty uh, rough community. We're going to take you down the street that goes to our project. So this is our street. And, uh, our project is Project Allegro, which in Italian means happy. So as you're walking down the street, you can see the conditions of the houses down there. And this is our school. So we're going to take a look inside. It's a little rough. We got to uh, do some painting, but it's amazing what this place can do. Come on in. Oh, looky here. Here's Rico. This is our guard dog, my baby. So we're gonna come on in. Come on, Rico. Okay, so we're in the school now, and as you can see, this is our little patio area. My uh, wonderful cousin Herman is taking the video. Herman, follow me. Um, okay, we got a patio area. Uh, as soon as we can afford it, we're going to cut down these, these swings here and we're going to replace it with another one. But let's go inside. So, this first room 
is right now we just have one table and we're using it for uh, eating. And pretty soon here, we're hoping, once we have enough funding and we can pay for a second teacher, we're hoping to have a second class here in this room. Because over here is our main room. We have three tables. One, two, three. Um, there's a bathroom and over there. And, but this is our main room. This is where we do all of our feeding. This is where we do all the education, um, Bible studies, and any other forms of tutoring and, and helping with homework. It happens here. A little art time here and there. Uh, thanks to a, a church that came down last year, they brought some art supplies. So uh, we've been doing some little bead necklaces and, and some bracelets. Um, we'll keep going. We got two bedrooms here. Uh, one bedroom there, one bedroom here, and in the middle of the bathroom, they're literally just empty rooms right now. But come on back. Here's our uh, cabinet that has all of our goodies in it, school supplies and stuff. Um, but we're going to take you out to the kitchen. So this is a kitchen. This is Rosa. Hola, Rosa. Yes. This is a video for Donadora. So this is a cocinera Rosa. This is our cook, and she is wonderful. And so this is our kitchen. Arroz uh, She has a uh, rice and beans. She's gonna cook gallo pinto. See? Bueno. So, and then we got an outside area. This is where all the kids wash their dishes and uh, do all that. Fun stuff, clean the hands before they eat. But um, that's about it as far as inside goes. Okay, so right now we got kids eating. We're gonna come into our project right now. Oh, and they're eating. Hello, girls. So what are, que estamos comiendo? Gallo pinto, tortilla, con salsa, tomate. Que rico. Yeah, that's what I that's what I ate today. A big bottle of yogurt. This girl's ornery. See? <laughs> hey, she said yes. <laughs> so this is our kids. They're eating right now. So they're eating gallo pinto, which is rice and beans. And Alright, so that video is a lot longer than that. You can go on my Facebook page if you want to watch the whole thing. But that just gave you a little insight to um, what God is doing there in Nicaragua. A few months ago when I went to Nicaragua, um, they, none of that was... I didn't get to see any of that. Um, God has blessed Tom and they were able to purchase a new property to like put that school on. And, um, well, they bought... Yeah. Okay, so... Um, God has blessed him in um, getting that, and it's right next door to where he used to be, and um, so that's really nice for him. And he's been able to start a feeding program down there, so now he feeds all of these kids, and um, God's just doing big things down there. And he has he um, runs like a sponsoring thing, so you have a chance to sponsor a child. And from what I hear, most of those um, children are sponsored, but there are still some that you can sponsor. And if you want to, you can talk to me or Jesse or Lucy or 
anyone really. So that's some of what God is doing in Nicaragua. And um, we've looked at what he has done in the Bible. We've looked at what he's doing now in Nicaragua. But um, I want to let you guys know a few things that he's doing here with some of the youth that we have at our church. So I'm going to ask a few people to come up and um, speak a little bit, starting with Mackenzie Holloway, my sister. Right now, I'm going to call up Haley Quinn, and she's going to hobble on up here. Um, but she's just going to talk, I guess, a little bit about Haiti and what God is doing in her life that regards Haiti. Do I need to be a mic stand? Okay. Okay, so I've been to Haiti twice. My name is Haley Quinn. Um, Jesus has done a lot in my life. I went to a different church before I came here. I've been here for about a year and a half. And um, I wasn't really comfortable there. We didn't really do anything like, and I know I don't mean like we didn't do anything fun, like that's not important. But we didn't really minister to anybody. We didn't do any mission trips. I mean, it just wasn't right. And so um, God led me here through a bunch of different people. And I'm so thankful that I got to meet people that have led me to Haiti. And in Haiti, we go down and we stay in an orphanage, and um, we really get to know the kids there. We get to stay in, like, the same rooms as them. We get to live how they do for basically a week. And it's just, it's so awesome to get to minister to those people down there because they just want love, and it's just great to give them love. And um, we get to go to a city called Cuadrante, and the kids there are just awesome. And the people there, and we get to do... My medical trips, we get to do, like, just, we just get to hang out with them, and it's just awesome, and um, I just feel really blessed to be able to do that, because I know everyone can't do that, there are a lot of people that just aren't able physically and just mentally not able to go down there and just stay in a foreign country for however long, and, um, but... Just keep praying and just keep supporting all the foreign missions because I know that might not be important to some people, but it's important to me and it's important to a lot of other people. And so, all right. So, the next person I'm going to call is Melena Douglas, and she's going to tell you about um, some awesome things that God has done in her life. So there you go. So, um, God has done many things in my life. Um, I was in tears watching the Nicaragua video. I've been to Nicaragua before. Um, I did not grow up in a home that was Christian-based, which I mean, not disappoint anybody, but um, my, uh, my, not my immediate family, my parents didn't go to church, but my grandparents always had. So I'd always been growing up around a church. I just hadn't been in a steady church. But then about two years ago, I started coming here, and I'm so thankful for that. I've got to do so many things. I've got to coach an all-star team. I've got to 
minister to them. Um, Brent has an amazing youth group, been amazing. Um, I got to go to Nicaragua, which was a blessing. Um, when I first started coming to church here, they were about to go on a youth trip to Nicaragua. And I was like, I wanted to go so bad, but um, my parents wouldn't let me, which I it was kind of hard for me because I really, really wanted to go. But if God didn't want me to go, he didn't want me to go that time. So I prayed about it, and uh, the next year came around, and there was another trip. And um, I was talking to Jesse and Brent, and I'm like, I really want to go. I was just so nervous to ask my parents because I was like, I didn't want to get like rejected again. So I was like driving home, and I'm like talking to God in my car because that's like where I talk to God. He's like, it's just me and him, and I can drive, and I can talk to him. And um, I was like, God, like, I really want to go, and I like, really feel like you're calling me to go. And um, so I got home, and I'm like, so nervous. I'm like, oh, I don't really want to ask him. I don't really want to ask him. So I asked him, and I was like, here's the deal. Like, I really want to go. I really feel like God's calling me to go down there. And I'm like, I know you might not understand, but just, just trust me on this one. And, like, I don't know where this came from, but they're like, yeah, you can go. They're like, no big deal. Like, yeah, they're like. Like, I don't know if they really understood why I wanted to go down there or anything, but it, I was just like, I was like crying and bawling because I was so excited. And I called Jesse and I'm like on the phone with him for two hours. And I'm like, and then I just start praying. I'm like, God, thank you for this. And um, I go down there. I have a blast. I get to minister to all these little kids and I form relationships with them. And um, we're supposed to be going back again. So I'm hoping that I'll be able to go back again. But, um, that's just one big blessing that God has given me to be able to work with them and be able to come to church here and to uh, minister to those kids and try to, like, like what Mackenzie said, I play sports too. And um, I don't know where Hannah Walker's at. But before each game, Hannah Walker and I, everybody else is there doing their little cheer thing. And Hannah Walker, I over here praying. <laughs> and um, so we, can try, we try to be the example there. And um, so, yeah, that's just kind of what God has done in my life. Thank you, guys. So I hope you've seen some examples of um, what God is still doing, because he is moving everywhere. And um, sometimes you just have to take a step back and really look. And um, I guarantee you can find something that God is doing in your life and in the lives of people around you. Um, So... Sometimes God doesn't work on our time, though. I want to make that clear. Um, uh, as a senior this year, it's really hard to um, start thinking about what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And um, I have no idea. <laughs> and I'm always a person, I have to have a plan and I have to stick to it from day one. But I don't have a plan for something that's kind of important, which is the rest of my life. So, um, it's really important. I'm just trying to wait, and I know that God has been faithful in the past, and I know He'll be faithful again. It's just, I have to wait, and that's kind of a struggle for me. And, um, so, there are two really important things that I want you to take home with you today that hopefully you've gotten out of this message. And the first one being that God isn't dead. He's still moving. He's still living. He's working in everyone. I believe he's doing work right now in this room. And um, the second thing is the God that does all of these miracles and is still doing miracles today wants a relationship with you. Like, 
He, he created you, and no one of us is perfect. I'm not perfect. I, I would have a hard time believing if anyone in this room said that they were, were not. And the thing is, the awesome thing that God does is once you give your life to Him, He doesn't see your imperfections. He sees you as pure, and um, He wants to save you, and He wants a relationship with you. And um, all he asks is that you follow him. Joshua 1 tells us that, we, that God will never leave us or forsake us. So we can be strong and courageous because God will never leave. He is the one person that will stick by your side through everything. And um, if you have questions about how you can have a relationship with God or you, wanna, you just want to talk to someone, here in a few minutes we're just going to um, have a time of prayer and everyone's heads will be bowed and everyone's eyes will be closed. And I would encourage you to come up here. And there are people that would love to talk to you and pray with you about anything that you might be thinking or feeling. And um, so right now we're going to um, just pray and we'll see what God does. All right. Dear Lord, thank you for this day and all the blessings that you've given us, God. Thank you for just um, this time that we have to spend together, God. I pray that you would be moving and working in this sanctuary right now, God, that um, your name might be glorified and that people would learn more about you and um, that they would come to you and you would reveal yourself to them, God. And um, thank you for just your faithfulness and um, everything, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.